It's the Enlightenment. Who's analyzing what? Let's start with Laura. What's made the cut? Hydrodynamic statics and hydrometry. While her husband tries to cure disease with electricity. Caldani and Fontana use a frog as their lab rat. Let's chat. Welcome to Battery Chattery. I'm Hope Wilson. And I'm Anna Rigney. And today we're going to talk some more about Laura Bassi, because <laughs> we have not had enough episodes about her. I agree. She's pretty badass, mm-hmm. as we've previously discussed. <laughs> um, okay, so I have, I have like a really unusually like specific outline today, nice. where I have four things we're going to talk about. Cool. You um, want to tell us what we're going to talk about? Yeah. The first one is some notes about women in science at the time, because I read, like, half of a book on Laura Bassi, and I learned so much about attitudes about women in Europe in the, like, thousands. Cool. And by thousands, I mean, like... Yeah. That whole millennium. Yeah. Okay. I got you. (laughs) Uh, The second thing is, what did Laura actually study? Because we haven't talked about that much yet. Um, And a lot of her work has been lost, so that's part of why we haven't talked about it as much, but there's enough there. We can talk about it. Um, Part three is just specifically about, like, the electric work that was done in her laboratory, because that's kind of what really led to the invention of the battery later. Um, And then four is just kind of the end of her life. Alright. Cool. I like it. (laughs) Get very broad to very specific. Yeah. I like it. That's a good point. Um, all right, so you remember how you were wondering um, why the University of Bologna gave Laura a degree if it wasn't to, like, open doors for women at all? Like, if yeah. that was no part of it, then why did they give her a degree? Like, what sense did that make? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, something I read... Wait, didn't we talk about how they wanted to draw attention to themselves? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we've sort of discussed it, but I still didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so basically, they believed that, of course, women are by nature less intelligent than men. Sure. And so, the presence of exceptionally bright women in their community was proof that the men must be even more gifted. So they gave her a degree because she was so smart. To encourage the men around her to be smarter? No, just to prove that the men around her were smarter. But if she was exceptionally bright, then how would that prove that? I'm not, I'm sorry. <laughs> it sounds like I'm attacking your logic. I'm attacking, no, no, attacking no. their logic. I hear you. I hear you. Um, I, I can't really defend their logic. Because uh, I think they're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, most most human beings before, like, the past, what, 50 years? Mm-hmm. Pretty terrible. Um, I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> so the idea being that... Okay, so she's exceptionally bright, but... Is it that she t- truly wasn't as bright as some of the people around her, or... That is... No, she was, like... I don't, I don't, I didn't, I don't, didn't see, like, comparisons between, like, her and everyone around her, but I definitely read some things that were, like, it was widely acknowledged that she was more skilled, had more knowledge, etc., than her husband, so. Okay. 
So they're just bad at logic, is yeah. what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It was also, you know, like, there was this whole idea of the exceptional women. Like, they really probably believed most women could not do this stuff. So, I mean, it might not have even been that they were like, oh, well, she's still less good at anything than all the men around her, but just that, like... Like, the exception proves the rule situation. What does that mean? I always struggle with that phrase, like, the exception proves the rule. To be fair, I also struggle with that phrase. Okay. <laughs> but I think that the idea being that if it's difficult for you to generate lots of examples and you can only think of, like, an exception or two... Oh, that sure. ...that proves... Okay, yeah. ...that there's a rule that maybe there are some exceptions to, but mm-hmm. it's more widely applicable than the exceptions. Mm-hmm. Is what I understand. That makes sense, yeah. I don't think I'd ever understood that before thank you no you weren't <laughs> i i feel like i struggle with it too i just struggle with idioms in general i mm-hmm. find them very confusing and i often mash them up um right so uh so basically i was talking to i think my roommate about this and um like saying how it was like they took her getting a degree to be like oh all our men are so smart she was like so they basically took a woman's accomplishment and made it men's and i was like that's Pretty much, yeah. Cool. That's what they did. Um, Oh, okay. I wanted to... (laughs) Like I said, I learned a lot. We don't need to talk about all of it because it's real depressing. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. (laughs) Nope. Um, I I wanted to end this section on a happy note. Just a feel-good moment. Okay. Because uh, when Laura was presenting her 49 theses, right, one of the friars involved in her examination said... The nature of women had not changed since eternity, and he would not accept women. Sorry, he would not accept wisdom that could be found in a young woman. And Cardinal Lambertini, who of course became Pope later, yeah, silenced him and called him a dunce. Nice. Yeah, feels good. That guy was very much on her side. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and somehow that seems suspect. <laughs> but good um, for him. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um... That was part one? That was part one. Part so, two. the perception of women at the time. Grim. <laughs> grim. <laughs> yeah. Like, things were so grim that, like, all you had to do was be like, you should accept women. Fuck. You should accept wisdom that can be found in a young woman. And we'll be like, wow, you know, what a pal. I think you keep being upset that you're making this mistake, but I think that there's, like, a deeper meaning behind it that you conflate women and wisdom. I think that's cool. <laughs> that's, yep. Mm-hmm. Fair. All right, so, um, you know how after she joined the Benedettini, she had to do a dissertation every year? I don't remember that. She did. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't even that she had to do a dissertation every year. It was kind of that, like, pe- before that, people were trying to get in her way of, like, of, like, presenting her work, and after that, she was like... <laughs> Take that! I have to do a dissertation every year, and you cannot stop me. So, remind me again. She joins the society because the Pope is like... I always forget his name. Uh, Benedict. Benedict. 14. Okay. But what was his... Isn't his name sort of an L? Yeah. Well, his name before he was Pope was Lambertini. Okay. Yeah, this is where I learned that Popes aren't actually named there. <laughs> Lambertini. Okay. Um, he forced them to accept her, correct? Yeah, well, she she asked. She was like, hey, can you make, like, an extra position for me? And the Pope was like, yeah. Okay. 
Seems legit. And this was... So can you remind me exactly what the Benedictini is? Yeah, it's this uh, society that um, Pope Benedict basically created, which was, it gave some funding to folks in exchange for like them presenting an original work every year. And this was to try to combat the, like people just weren't publishing as many papers. Okay. And they wanted to like be like, do original work, publish papers, etc. So she did, she didn't have to, present work every year but she did to get the money and to prove that she could no she I, it's unclear to me sorry <laughs> if did you were in the group you, yeah you like you had to but you were also getting money for it okay so it was a requirement mm-hmm. okay cool but one that she like very deliberately signed up for okay like cool. please give me this requirement um anyway got an exciting list of dissertations i'm not going to read through it because there's 31 of them okay I could be its own podcast episode. <laughs> Maybe with like a bass beat in the background. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that would be fun. It's very, very rhythmic. A lot of like, no, it's not that rhythmic. Anyway. If we did it in the original Italian, I bet it would sound real good. <laughs> You're right. You're correct. Um, okay, so of her 31 presentations, 10 of them dealt with hydro... Okay, hydrometry, hydrodynamics, and hydrostatics. We don't care what those mean specifically, although I have it written down. But basically just water. Yeah, (laughs) you're so right. I Um, know my ancient Greek. One (laughs) word. Um, Yeah, so basically, Laura Laura was a cool person. She was really, uh, like, engaged with, like, wanting to do science that helped her city. And big time, like, water was a thing that mattered and like fluid dynamics that kind of thing so um like with canals needed to bring drinking water and like bologna industries that needed water like paper hemp and silk so basically that was just her being a solid citizen um she also did a few experiments on electricity that made it into her dissertations um she was also helping like her husband with experiments and like various other people came into their laboratory to do experiments on electricity and she would like help with that um but because her and her husband had to like maintain these separate like they had to present their own independent Mm -hmm. dissertations so that's why a lot of that was separated to get that money (laughs) just just to like follow the rules i don't know i mean yeah i guess the money was important, but I was reading this definitely more as, like, this was, you know, it was, they both wanted to be in the society. It was probably a bit of a prestige thing. I don't know. It was the, it was the rule of the society that you had to present your own unique yeah. work. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so in terms of the work she actually published, and these were only, there were only four of her works were published, but, so, the journal of the, like, academy slash institute that she was at. It was called the Commentari, and um, most of the 75 authors published by it during its existence, 55 of them had less than four articles in it, and even Luigi Galvani, our boy, only had three. So, actually, four works is not, like, like, it sounds like not many, but it was not not many. It was a good amount. It was a reasonable amount. Okay. Um... It's interesting because I think, like, some biographer later was like, oh, yeah, she probably didn't publish that much because she was busy raising her, you know, many children. 
Um, but, like, that really wasn't the case. Like, she did just fine. Um, also... Compared to other people in her time. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, like, real impressive that she had somewhere between 9 and 12 pregnancies and, like, just worked throughout all of that. Yeah. Um, when you say between 9 and 12 pregnancies, does yeah. that mean she miscarried? <laughs> um... Probably. So basically, some biographer said that she had had 12 pregnancies, but there's only records of nine children. Okay. So, and four of those died before they became adults, um, which is sad, but um, also... Seems pretty par for the course at the time. Yeah, that's true. Um, But also, the the theory is that, like, if there were three pregnancies that weren't accounted for, it's probably because they were all stillborns. Okay. Which is also sad. Um... Moving on to not sad things. I don't know what I'm talking about next, so I might be totally wrong. <laughs> oh, <a> gamble. <laughs> um, so her published works. One of them was a problem in hydrometrics. Um, basically, I don't know. Do you care about <laughs> this problem in hydrometrics? Do you want me to care? <laughs> not really. Okay, then no. <laughs> Okay, um, another... We'll care about whatever you want me to care about. <laughs> okay, thanks. Um, the second one was a problem in mechanics. Uh, I mean, I think basically these aren't things that I understand or am that interested in, but okay. it does sound like, sh- you know, they must have been considered pretty important at the time if they were published, and um, she... I think another point they made was that she did, like, a ton of math in her, like, papers, whereas... Um, so he's comparing her to her husband to make her husband look bad. But um, <laughs> her husband basically didn't do any math in his work at all. This is going to come up later. Okay. Um, the third one, and this I understand and like. <laughs> do you know what Boyle's Law is? I feel like I learned it at some point, but I don't remember. <laughs> so it's for a gas, pressure times volume stays constant at constant temperature. Okay. So we... Like, you probably learned this as PV equals NRT, where it's pressure times volume equals number of moles times Boltzmann constant times temperature. Um, This was, like, high school chemistry coming back. mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Or or college chemistry, if you uh, you had to do that. I did have to do that. Yeah. just blocking out my memory. (laughs) Or, like, grad school material science, if you had to do that. (laughs) I definitely didn't have to do that. (laughs) Um... But basic, so Galeazzi, who we've talked about before. Um, Can you remind me who Galeazzi is? Yeah, actually, I'm not sure we talked about him on the podcast before. But he debated with Laura Bassi at her first... Uh, oh, is this the thing with the cadavers? Yeah, at the Carnival Anatomy. Yeah. He debated with her at the first time she was at that about, like, optics and vision. Um, he also, his daughter ended up marrying Galvani. So, okay. another connection. Um I feel like we, look like the audience is probably just like, who is Galvani? Like, why do you keep talking about him? We'll get there later. Like, another day. Probably in several months. Anyway. Um, you know how things can be galvanizing? Yeah. It's because of Galvani, correct? <laughs> Galvani was the person who enabled all galvanization. Yeah. If you're galvanizing your friend group to go get beer... You couldn't have done that without Galvani. Wait, is that what that word means? I thought it meant something that is, like, people feel very strongly and oppositely about. Hmm. I don't think that's what it means. You know what? 
Let's Google it. Google. Galvanize. Okay. To shock or excite someone, typically into taking action. Oh. You're correct. I have been using it wrong. Oh. <laughs> what am I thinking of? No. Maybe I'm just... I've been using it wrong. <laughs> Good to know. Thank you. <laughs> So anyway, the reason we were talking about Galeazzi was that previously um, he had found, like, deviations from Boyle's Law. Um, I don't understand what he did because it wasn't detailed very specifically in this book. But anyway, Bassi kind of repeated these experiments and added new variables. And what she found was that humidity really affected whether air, like, followed Boyle's Law or not. So she did these experiments, like, she'd do them on a dry day and on a really humid day. Um, and on the humid day, you couldn't shrink air to half its volume by doubling the pressure on it. Um, basically learning about like what vapor in air does. Anyway, um, this was considered really important, which I'm glad because I actually understand it. <laughs> um, okay, and the last work was on air dissolved in various liquids. Um, Again. Sounds exciting. Yeah, I don't understand the significance or anything, but presumably it's important for building canals or whatever. Something that Italians love to do. Yeah, they're just out there building canals. Like, what do you want to do for fun today? Uh... Build a canal. Mm-hmm. But pretend that I said that in an Italian accent. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, she also helped other people with, like, experiments that they then published. Like, there were some on gunpowder and shattering glass, and her husband made a whole book about electricity, which... Yeah, let's get into electricity. Part three. Part three. 1746. Sorry, were you going to say something? I was going to say, just to summarize, part two was a lot of water. She did a lot of research on water. Yeah! Cool. Yeah. Which can relate to electricity. Yeah, in that, like, water type is inferior to electric type Pokemon. Sure. I was thinking more that you could use solutions to make... Uh, oh, fair point. ...conductive fluids. That's right. We're a, we're a battery podcast. <laughs> I mean, we can make a Pokemon podcast if you want. It's been a while. But something I watched a lot growing up. Um, okay, so 1746. So I think I've mentioned Laura and her husband had this lab, this real fancy lab where, like, they got lots of instruments for it, and they were always asking for, like, money and stuff to get instruments for it. And, like, people would gift them instruments for it, which is pretty neat. Yeah. Um, anyway, 1746, they've acquired an electricity machine, and theirs is the only private laboratory that has one. What's an electricity machine? What does that mean? That is a fantastic question. I think it just, like generated static electricity okay wait what year was this 1746 okay so this was was this after the benedictine oh no that was right around when she joined the benedictine that's cool so initially it was her husband who was mostly interested in electricity i think um and a lot of what he did was electricity and medicine he he made some statements i guess i guess just hypotheses about like electricity 
maybe helping cure arthritis, rheumatism, headaches, paralysis. Um, this was all like in his book, uh, which incidentally, Laura definitely helped out with the experiments in the book. But again, I guess they just had to like keep their work separate so that it wouldn't. So she didn't get credit. She did not get credit. Cool. Yep. Oh, another theory for why she her name wasn't on the book was maybe she just didn't agree with his conclusions. Okay. So, don't know. Um, but yeah, that's what Verati was all about. That's her husband's name. Verati. Mm-hmm. Only we've Giuseppe Verati. Yeah. No, I don't think we had. <laughs> nice. He's just been her husband, which I kind of like. <laughs> I mean, would you have ever heard of him if you didn't marry her? Probably not. By the way, one of the... I know I mentioned that, like, a lot of people were opposed to Laura getting married because they wanted her to... Whatever. Um, to focus on research? Yeah, her, like... she They wanted her, the love of her life to be, like, science and also God. But didn't they also not let her hang out with other male scientists mm-hmm. because she was unmarried? Mm-hmm. Although I still don't think that that logic holds up either, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, all of that is true, yes. Okay. What was I just... Oh, right. One of the one of the issues people said about her getting married was they just didn't think he was good enough for her. Oh, snap. I know. It's so rude. <laughs> anyway. Right. So, um, we're just going to talk about a couple people who did work in their lab. Uh, so these folks were named Caldani and Fontana. I don't remember. Cal- oh, wait. I think it's like Mark Antonio Caldani and then like Felice Fontana. Anyway, um... They did some work on... So at the time, there was questions about, like, how did nerves transmit information to muscles? Mm -hmm. And a big theory was, like, animal spirits. Cool. Or, like, nervous fluid. Just, like, flowing through these nerves. Yeah. Telling the muscles what to do. And people were starting to question whether this nervous fluid was electrical in nature. And um, so Caldani and Fontana did stuff where they like prepared frogs in a way that later Galvani used and they were doing this in Laura Bassi's lab this is why we get to talk about this as if it belongs in this podcast (laughs) um and so they'd be preparing frogs and like using electricity as a stimulus to make muscles go twitch yeah um that's actually I mean relatively close there is fluid in nerves mm -hmm. that are have what it's called ions uh-huh that transmit electricity yeah so it is like electrical fluid kinda. yeah cool all right that's all i had for that section we are on section four wait so oh summarize i'm sorry i like no summarize. you're right you're right <laughs> so section three we talked about work that was done in her lab that she didn't necessarily get credit for but dealt with electricity and mm-hmm. the reason why we're talking about laura bassi for however many episodes, it's because she helped contribute to work on electricity that later may have been beneficial to battery development. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Actually, also, I had one more thing. Okay. Um, so this was this was one of her dissertations. So basically, as electricity was getting popular, I guess. Um, <laughs> I mean, the in thing. Yeah, in vogue. Um, the Institute of Bologna was basically like, we want, like, here's what we want scientists to do. Here's a priority. We want y'all to make analogies between electricity and other physical phenomena. Okay. So 
something like this was actually her last dissertation. Um, she connected. She was basically looking at bodies that retain heat and those that retain electricity. And I can't. I don't quite know exactly what this dissertation was about, but if it is what I think it was, she was kind of noticing that like basically electrical insulators were often the same materials as heat insulators. Heat insulators. Oh, yeah. Cool. And like materials that are electrically conductive are also heat conductive. Interesting. So if that's what she was talking about, like she was dead on, like there's actually um there's a law now called the Wiedemann Franz law. Uh, basically that good conductors of electricity are also good conductors of heat. Um, this was reported, this law was like made and reported in 1853. Okay. So, and she, she talked about it in 1777. So that's cool. Like she's head of the game. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's actually cool. Um, it's not a strict law. There's some materials that like, especially vanadium oxide I was reading about earlier. I'll post the link in the episode description, in case y'all want to know more stuff. <laughs> um, so some materials do not conform to that law. Yeah. Um, so basically, the law makes sense, because it's like, what is heat? It's like stuff moving around, like mm-hmm. electrons bouncing all up and down and all around. And like, if those electrons can move, then they can conduct heat, probably, because like, if a fast-moving electron goes somewhere else, then like it's brought that heat with it yeah but i guess with vanadium dioxide it's something about like the electrons moving more in unison so instead of all this random movement yeah isn't it um so that's super cool and want to know about an application sure do you know about thermoelectrics i do not okay so that's um an idea of like using waste heat to generate electricity which is cool because that's like if we could do that well that'd be huge right like it's just waste heat and we're using it um so that's basically if you put two metals together and heat up one end of the two metals and not the other end they can generate a current actually can you back up what is what is waste heat oh like in like when you compost like say in an engine Okay. Like, your, the engine of your car gets hot. That heat isn't doing anything good. Oh, I see. Okay. But it could be, um, in theory. So heat that is wasted, not mm-hmm. heat that comes from waste. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> good point. Um, but yeah, so basically, if, um, if you have a material that can conduct electricity well, which you would want in order to like generate this current, it's also going to conduct heat well, and so then you won't have this temperature difference between your two ends, and then like you're not gonna basically it's not gonna work so well. Mm-hmm. So this rule about good conductors of electricity also being good conductors of heat is really like dampening some people's style. I'm sorry <laughs> for them. <laughs> I'm sure they appreciate it. Your your sympathy. Thank you, Anna, on their behalf. You're welcome. Okay, end of life. Part four. Part four. So, the chair of physics at the University of Bologna in 1772. So, conflicting informations that I found from different sources. Either he died in 1772 or just got kind of sick. But, so, 
Lara's husband, Giuseppe Verratti, had been his assistant. So in 1772, he's temporarily appointed to the chair in physics, which basically just a professorship. I don't know. Um, but he was... So he, first off, his knowledge of mathematics wasn't sufficient. As we've discussed previously on this we, episode. Yes. Um, he was also, like, not able to teach experimental physics and, like, theoretical aspects of physics. I think he was more just, like, into medicine, I guess. Um, yeah. So his dissertations presented no mathematical solutions to physical problems. They leaned toward physics applied to physiology. So, Laura, this whole time, I think since, like, 1773, she's like, hey, you should consider me for this position. And, of course, they were like, nah. Let's we give you a degree. We can also make you chair. <laughs> let's, let's let's have a few years to think about this, right? Anyway, 1776. Um, either Balby dies. Oh, sorry, that was the the guy who was the chair of physics before. Either he dies or he was already dead four years ago. Not sure. Anyway, the physics chair is split into two positions: one for experimental physics. Laura gets that chair. And Giuseppe Verratti is then her assistant. So I guess that was a bit of a downgrade for him, but it was also, like, kind of where he belonged since he wasn't able to do the job. I don't know. I'm assuming it doesn't necessarily work the same way, but currently you're only chair of a department for a period of time. It's not a permanent position, but it sounds like maybe this is a permanent situation. I don't know. I didn't know that about chairs. Yeah. uh, I mean, maybe this is not true in every department, but my understanding is that the chair changes hands after a period of time Mm -hmm. and I don't know if there's like a if there are like term limits or if it's just when a person gets tired of it yeah I don't know I don't think it's easy to be a chair of a department Uh but again the structure today might not be the structure then I don't know anyway sorry (laughs) so she became chair of experimental physics which Mm -hmm. is awesome yeah and yeah the chair was split into two positions which might have been about politics because there was like a feud between her husband and like the guy who ended up the assistant of the other chair but um anyway the other chair was in physical mathematics which is funny because like laura could have handled that anyway uh, a quick note from like the proceedings where they were like talking about maybe letting her do this um there's a quote that's like Finally, to satisfy if one ever can the demands of Signora Laura Bassi, <laughs> who, although she has no right to be admitted among the professors of this institute, nevertheless has asked for this well over three years. Has no right to even be a professor at this institute? Yeah. All right. So, some folks were getting a little ruffling their feathers about the fact that, you know, she asked for things that she deserved. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so now she's a chair. She's finally, like, living her life. She gets to teach public classes on a regular basis now. For the first time. Sadly, she dies two years later in 1778. I know, it's a bummer. Um, uh, At at which point her husband takes over the chair. So maybe he, like, learned some math in that time. (laughs) Sounds so mean. (laughs) Maybe he got his shit together. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I got curious about, like, was that kind of the the high, highest point she could have achieved if she hadn't died. And she was, like, 65 when she died. So, like, she lived a pretty, like, a reasonably long life. But, I don't know. I read about, um, basically, so she could have also held office in the Institute, potentially. 
um, which she never, she never managed to do that. I don't know if she really wanted to. I don't even know what that would have consisted of, but I do know that her husband was vice president of the Academy six times and president twice. So it's definitely, like, not a thing she shouldn't have been able to do, really. Yeah. Except that she was a woman. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Sounds a short end of life. She got to be chair, and then she died. (laughs) I know, it's a bummer. Um... And I think we've talked about this a little bit before, how, like, Bassi's um, whole life, like, didn't necessarily open... It, it kind of opened doors for other women, but also people were pretty reluctant to let it open doors for other women. Um, there's kind of a theory that, like, um, maybe having seen how how much more she, like, managed to do as a woman than, like, anyone had really intended to let her do when they gave her that degree. Yeah. Um, that, that might have, like, stopped other women from being admitted and given degrees and stuff, because they were like, well, they're just... <laughs> like, we all know what happens when you let women in. Um, yeah. They accomplish things. <laughs> and we can't have that, Anna. <laughs> Apparently not. Um, but yeah, that's... That's it. That's... Laura Bassey. We're wrapping up Laura Bassey? Mm-hmm. Laura, Laura. Laura. Laura Bassey. It's cool. I've been saying Lambertini this whole time, and it's definitely, like, not that. Close enough. Yeah. Just imagine we're doing this all in an Italian accent. <laughs> pretend we said all of this in Italian. And or correctly. <laughs> Both of those are equally unlikely to have actually happened. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you have any questions before we close out? I don't think so. Don't know if I'm bummed out or not. I guess she achieved a lot of things that she wanted to. Yeah. That's good. Good for her. Yeah. All right. Bye, listeners. Thanks for listening. Goodbye to Laura Bassi. What's our next podcast about? Find out next time on Battery Chattery.